All right, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be in 25 through 27 this morning. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles provided in the seats there. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that one home. And it's our gift uh, to you. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. And we're going to land there uh, shortly. And so today is our last Sunday in our spring teaching series that we're calling the Gospel-Centered Marriage. And the warm weather is upon us. And so you know what that means. It means that it is officially wedding season. And so after this series, you should now have plenty of content to write on the inside of your uh, wedding cards. You can say something along the lines of, Dear John and Sarah, I will forego giving you a gift or money and will simply give you the best gift, my advice. And then you can say whatever you wrote down in your sermon notes. And uh, see, Charles River Church is here to save your soul and save you some money as well. And so, just kidding, don't do that. Um, I do, however, I do, however, hope that through this series, you've kind of gained a, a biblical framework for marriage. I, I pray that it's been helpful uh, for you. It's been really fun. We've had a lot of uh, good stuff to talk about and to work through in our groups as well uh, throughout the city, and so just really thankful for what God's done in this. Let me, let me say this, that, that the content uh, that we've been looking at is really, really, really important, and so if you missed any of this stuff, I would encourage you to go back on the website or go onto iTunes and type in Charles River Church and find us. And, and listen to some of the past content that we've gone through over the past uh, few months together, really since Easter. And so uh, just check that out. Uh, right now we're finishing up a, a three-part series within the series on intimacy. And so uh, two weeks ago we looked at relational intimacy. Last week you were waiting for it. We looked at physical intimacy, intimacy sexual intimacy. And then this week we looked at or are looking at spiritual intimacy. Now, when we say intimacy, let's remember what we're talking about. When we say intimacy, we're, we're talking about being close to your spouse, being open, being vulnerable, being free with your spouse. And, and some have said it this way, we'll put it on the screen, uh, intimacy is into me, see. In other words, I want you to see me, I want you to know me as much as humanly possible. Only God can really fully know us, but I'm, I'm inviting you to really know me as much as humanly possible. I want to be intimate uh, with my spouse. And we've established uh, that the reason for this is that God has designed us for intimacy, that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And for creation, eternity, or eternity past, He has been uh, within Himself in perfect harmony, perfect unity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And He made us in His image and likeness to be like that, that we are relational beings. We saw in Genesis chapter 2 that just before sin enters into humanity in chapter 3, at the end of chapter 2, it reads that the, the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. That's what God wants for us. He, he made us to be open and vulnerable and honest with your Adam or with your Eve. But we've also seen along the way that sin kills us, that sin just kills intimacy. And uh, what they did. When they had sin, immediately what they did is they covered themselves with fig leaves, right? And uh, God, uh, being so loving and gracious, uh, knowing that fig leaves wither, he covered them with animal skins. Prophetic image of the fact that someone has to die to cover sin. Jesus had to die, um, ultimately, to cover our sin. And so God covers their sin. And so uh, sin kills our intimacy, and Jesus... Uh, restores that intimacy, and Jesus brings us to a place where we can have intimacy yet again with God and with each other. And so, married couples, uh, we get to see creation intimacy restored through Jesus as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we center our marriages on the gospel. And so, we uh, can both trust in Jesus and see all of that restored. So, we can see physical intimacy restored, and we can have a deep, beautiful friendship, uh, a relational intimacy, deep, beautiful friendship in our marriage. We can have physical intimacy restored, and we can have faithful and fulfilling and frequent sexual intimacy, as we talked about last week, and then we can also have spiritual intimacy, and that's what I want to talk about uh, together this morning. And here's what, here's what we mean. In our marriages, we want to be open and vulnerable and known completely spiritually. And so for those who are married or for those who are even just in a relationship, let me ask you, are you open and vulnerable and honest with that person about your faith? Is it something that really you even talk about at all? Let me ask you this. What is the content of your communication? We talk about all kinds of things with uh, spouses or boyfriends or girlfriends, but, but what, what are you talking about? Are you talking about current events? Are you talking about your day at work? Are you talking about children? Are you talking about the house? Are you talking about how you're feeling? Uh, those are things that are 
great to talk about, and we should be talking about those things, but we also need to be talking about our faith. It should come up in our conversations. And I want to encourage you, if that's not something that you're frequently talking about, I want to encourage you to take some steps, even today, to start to initiate that and start to be bold and bring up your faith in your relationships. And so, though it's not the only thing you talk about, it's something that you should be talking about with regularity. Now, let's get into Ephesians 5. Look at verses 25 uh, through 27 of Ephesians 5. It says this. We've worked through this in detail already. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, again, we've worked through this passage several times uh, through this series, and, and from verse 25, we have concluded that our marriages should be a picture to the world of the commitment, of the love between Christ and his church. And so when people see our love for each other, our commitment that's unwavering to each other, what they're really seeing also is the love and the unwavering commitment of Christ to his church. But today we need to see one more function of marriage, and here it is uh, from verses 26 and 27. And we need to see that, that marriage is one of God's most effective tools for spiritual growth. Look down at verse 26 and 27 with me again. I want, I want you to see this. That, that just as Jesus loved us, we also are to love our spouses in a sanctifying kind of way. And here's what that word means. To sanctify means uh, to, to set apart or to declare as holy. And so that when you become a follower of Jesus and you trust in Jesus, you have holiness, sanctification, being set apart immediately in standing or position, but we also have to see that happen in practice. And so God looks at you as you are declared holy officially, but you now also have to move not just from position, but also into practice and become holy. And, and likewise, our marriages, same thing. In our marriages, we need to help each other to move towards holiness in practice. Let me ask you this. How many of you who are married have, have grown in patience through your marriage? Marriage helps you out a little bit with, with patience. So before you were married, you liked your place clean. It was always clean. It was always tidy. And then you married him, right? You know what I'm talking about? Some of us, Maybe marriage has grown you in selflessness, and so through marriage, you know, before marriage, you, you did your own thing, and you kind of went and came and went as you wished, and then you got married, and can't just kind of do your thing. Call me. Where you at? What's going on? You know, you have to, have to work that way, and, and, and also, you know, marriage will, will quickly show you just how me-focused your life has been, that your world revolves around you. And so what God does with marriage is he uses it as one of his most effective tools for your spiritual growth or for your sanctification. It's been said this way. I can't find the originator of this phrase because it's said by a million people different times that marriage isn't intended primarily for your happiness, but it is intended for your holiness. That if we allow God, he will use our marriage to grow us, to sanctify us, to Perfect us so that, as it says, we can be presented in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. That Jesus likes to use our marriage to polish you up and to clean you up. And think about it this way. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, uh, Isaiah says this. He says, but now, O Lord, you are our father and we are the clay you are our potter, and we are the work of your hand. You've heard that? Maybe sing songs about being the, him being the potter and you being the clay. Just a beautiful picture that, that he is the potter, and we are the, the work of his hands. And as he's the potter, one thing he likes to do is he likes to use the instrument of marriage to, to shape you into what he wants you to be so that he can present you uh, in finality as a finished work without spot or wrinkle, any such thing without blemish. And, and we need to be that kind of clay. We need to be that kind of clay on the wheel, the kind of clay that's soft and malleable or, or moldable so that when God uses the tool of marriage to really shape you and your patience as you're spinning around through life, that you say, okay, I'm going to receive that. I'm going to soften. I'm going to learn through this situation that maybe I didn't really want it this way. Or maybe when it comes to uh, your, your selfishness, that as you're going through life, that God's using marriage to show you just how selfish you are. And, and when he needs to 
firmly push on you to shape you the way he wants you to be, that, that you don't stiffen up, but you really become and remain moldable, malleable. And think about it. What happens when the, when the clay gets hard? When the clay gets hard, it cracks, right? And, and God wants us not to crack, but he wants us to stay teachable and learnable so that he can finish us up, he can polish us up without spot or wrinkle or blemish, any such thing. And so that's God's design for marriage. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to I use the remainder of our time to, to look at some acts of spiritual intimacy in marriage. And I want to I look at various scriptures, kind of bounce around a bit. Uh, if, if you're newer with us, what we like to do primarily is go through a, a passage of scripture and work straight through it. But we need to bounce a little bit today. And I want to look at some, some scripture that really show us how we can be spiritually close, how we can be spiritually open, how we can be vulnerable in our faith with each other and therefore growing. And so I've got five for you. If you're a note taker, I give you five. Uh, the first one's going to be the longest to cover because it is the most difficult one in marriage. And, and here it is. This first act of spiritual intimacy is exhortation. Or we could say correction. You love this one, right? You were saying, man, I hope he talks about having somebody correct me. That would be wonderful. Uh, you know, some of the stuff I see from my position looking this way when preaching is just hysterical. I, I love it. Like, um, you know, the occasional watching somebody bob their head, you know, to, uh, to stay awake in the middle of a message. And I, I take that as my fault. Like, I should not bore you. But, uh, so that's my fault. But if that's ever happened to you, I'm laughing with you. It's good. And uh, another thing I, I see a lot is, like, when I speak at youth camps and things, you know, you always have in the back corner, like, the, the 15-year-old boy, he's putting the moves on the, the, the 14-year-old girl at youth camp. I mean, that's why you go to youth camp, right, is to find a, find a girlfriend. And I just stop and go, hey, bro, this is not a date. This is church camp. So get it together. <laughs> you know, and, and so that's what I do. But, uh, and, I mean, I remember, I remember why I went to church camp, and so I'm not too hard on him. Uh, one thing I, I do see with some frequency that is really great is um, couples who clearly think that something I said applies to the person sitting beside them, you know? And so, you know, for example, I'll say something, and they're like, amen, and they just elbow, you know, they elbow that person. They love that. Or the guy is a little more gentle sometimes, and so he'll just kind of put his hand over on her leg, squeeze a little bit, you know, like, talking about you right now, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Or I've even seen this one. <laughs> and they just like stretch their arm and then squeeze them really tight. But the worst one is, the worst one is when somebody, the pastor says something that just so nails your spouse. Maybe this has happened to you. And you just can't help it, but you just, your head just turned. You're like, <laughs> and, and you're, you, it wasn't on purpose. You weren't trying to embarrass them. And can I just say, I always want to stop my message and just say, I'm sorry, bro. I, we were not in cahoots. Do not hate me right now. But it happens, and it's, it's great. And so uh, we're going to talk, uh, first piece here, about spiritual correction. We're going to talk about exhortation. And disclaimer here, that this is not permission to become the nagging wife or the nagging husband, right? This is lovingly help them to grow in their faith. Because when you're married, you become one. And their spiritual growth should be as valuable to you and as important to you and as in focus and concern for you as your spiritual growth. And so this has not become a nag. This has lovingly helped them to grow. Now remember, God wants to use marriage to sanctify you, to grow you. And so listen to Hebrews uh, chapter 13, 3. And you might want to write some of these verses down. They're good. This is a great memorization passage. Uh, the writer calls us to exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so, sin hardens you. It's deceiving. It sneaks up, creeps up into your life. And so if you have those mile markers along the way that I know that my spouse is right there in my life and they're going to check up on me and they have permission, I've invited them to, to speak to me about things of the Lord and, and things that I'm struggling with, then that's good. Exhort one another Every day. It's for Christians to exhort one another every day. And that means we need to get into the habit of daily speaking spiritual truth or challenge into each other's life. Now, notice it says exhort one another. We did a whole series a couple years ago called the One Another series. And we looked at the instances in the scriptures where one another shows up. That's a huge phrase in the New Testament. That we are to exhort one another. That means Christians are to exhort. Christians, right? 
See, one of the most frequent mistakes that Christians make is Christians calling non-Christians to act like Christians. So you go on Fox News and you say, everybody needs to act like me and have my same conviction. Well, listen, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you and changes who you are and how you think and how you work. And so Christians are to exhort one another, it says, every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And if you're exhorting non-Christians to act like Christians, well, you're starting at the wrong place. You're calling somebody to morality. You're calling somebody to religion. You're saying clean up for God. And that's not how the Christian faith works at all. You're not calling somebody to a set of rules. You're not calling somebody to clean up for God. You're not calling somebody to religion. That means buy back or to earn your way back to God. That's not the Christian faith. What sets us apart is that we trust in what Jesus has done, not in our behavior. When we trust in what Jesus has done and his spirit inside of us, then he starts to change us and clean us up after he has already taken residence inside of our heart. And so don't call somebody to live like a Christian if they're not a Christian. Call them to Jesus. And that also applies to your spouse because many are married to non-Christians. Some people came to faith after they were married and their spouse didn't. And don't nag them every day. Do this. Act like this. Act like this. Why don't you act like this? You call them to Jesus. You call them to Jesus. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, listen, possibly the most effective route for you is going to be letting him or her see your life change, not by just nagging them to death. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. He says, it's probably not going to be effective to nag them. Instead, a husband may be one, he says, W-O-N. A husband may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. And so, don't nag them to death, but let your life change Really speak to them. Now, it doesn't mean you never open up about Jesus with them, but let them see your life change. And as I speak to people in my life and, and, and people in the church, it tends to be the most effective thing. Why? Because it's biblical. They see your life change, and then you have a platform to speak. Now, for the rest of you, Christian married to Christian, exhort one another daily, as long as it is called today. Take the time that you've been given to exhort one another. And so if your spouse is one of your spiritual critics, remember it is by invitation. You married them. You said, let's be one. We're married. And so you have that right because I am yours and you are mine and I am you and you are me. We are one. Cleave together in the Lord. And so you invited them. You know, the best way to do this is not just to constantly say, hey, I got, I got to tell you something. We got to talk but it's to have regular instances in your life where you two sit down together and you read the scripture. So my wife and I, it's not, hey, Becky, I, let's talk. I got some stuff I need to point out, and I'll look right here. Let me show you something. See that? I was reading that. That is you, girl. No, what it is is we sit down regularly and we read the scriptures together, and as we're reading through it, we're talking and saying, evaluate me. Speak into my life about this, right? And so that's what we need to do is, is to do this, exhort one another daily. We need to wash each other with the water of the word because that's what God calls us to do in Ephesians chapter 5 to help sanctify each other. Now, I have just called you to do a dangerous thing. And this week could get ugly, right? For saying, hey, it's okay. Talk to each other about what you're struggling with in your faith and call each other out when necessary. It would be irresponsible of me to call you to exhort one another, to correct one another, and just say, that's good, move on. And so I really need to show you that the Bible gives us some conditions on this. And I want to give you a few conditions on correction here, whether in marriage or outside of marriage, conditions on when you correct another Christian. And so here are just a few. Galatians chapter 6, 1. Check this out. Galatians chapter 6, 1 says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Okay, this is, this is really important. So several conditions here. First of all, when speaking about sin to your spouse, the goal should always be restoration, right? Should always be seeking to restore 
that person, right? We need to be about restoring them. Notice it says, if anyone is caught in any transgression. This isn't like, ha, caught, busted, got you, red-handed, dirty, rotten, sinner. It, It means caught as in you are trapped in sin and you need helped out. That's what the, the, the word means when it says caught, that I'm, I'm here trying to help you out of this, not I'm busting you, aha, I finally got you. I've been waiting to show the world that you're a sinner. No, it's I'm trying to help you out. Our heart in this is to, to, to help them. It should always be, I want to, to help you. You see why that's so important? Don't let the call to correction be for you an, an excuse to hurt somebody or an opportunity to belittle somebody. No, that's not the point. It is to help them, to help them. Second condition on correction that we get in the scripture here is notice, notice the word gentleness. The spirit of, of gentleness. Let me ask you this. When pointing out sin in the past in your life, have you been gentle with them? Or have you done it with a voice that's been raised? Have you done it in a, in a hurtful way? A way that's just really demeaning to them and it hurts them? Have you done it in, in front of other people? Or you can embarrass them, belittle them. Maybe you've done it in front of their family or your family. You've done it in front of uh, friends. You've done it in front of the children. Man, don't do that. Be gentle when speaking to these issues. And the next condition on correction is this. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. And so when correcting your, your spouse, you can fall into sin. I can fall into into sin because you could fall into sin of, of pride and think you're just better than them man they are so messed up i am so good right and you can become prideful you can become bitter at them i can't believe them they've just messed up my life you can become bitter and that's how you could fall into sin you can just become ungracious and unchristlike who is gracious to people when he catches them in sin as the instances of, of in the scripture like the the woman they were going to stone her he didn't belittle her he didn't embarrass her he sent those guys away and spent time with her and cared for her. Don't just look at their sin. Always be mindful of, hey, I could sin in the midst of this. I have a friend of mine named uh, Jason. He's a, he's a really gifted biblical counselor. And so he does a lot of counseling, primarily with married couples who just need help in their marriage. And uh, Jason, one thing that he does uh, with married couples, it just cracks me up, he's, he's constantly finding married couples like to talk about the other person all the time. Well, well, them, look what they did, but, 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 and it's always pointing the finger at the other person. And so, you know the scripture about you're not supposed to look at the speck in their eye, you're supposed to pull the plank out of your own eye. You know what he does when they do that? He just develops a cue, usually in the first session. He says, listen, you focus on you, you work on you and not on them, and you work on you. And so he says, here's what's going to happen. If you start focusing on them, 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 and their issues, here's what I'm going to do. This is your cue. He just sticks his finger in his eye. You got a plank in your eye, man. And so that's just his universal cue with the people he's counseling. I love it. Plank in your eye. And so we need to be very careful to not just look at their sin, but also think about our sin and to work on the plank that's in our own eye. Now, another condition on correction. This is really good. Ephesians chapter 4, 15 says this. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You heard that before? A lot of us have heard that before. So verse 15 here tells us that one of the ways that we grow up in holiness in our faith in Christ is by speaking truth, which is the scripture. I'm going to share this with my spouse and with other people that God has put into my life and share scripture. And how are we to do that? We're to speak the truth in what manner? In love, right? We're to do it in love, right? Like a knife in the heart right there. Do we always do that? We speak the truth, but we don't always speak the truth with love, right? Seeking to help them, seeking to restore them. No, we're to do it in love. And then look at verse 29. This is good. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. So the goal is to build them up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And so our words, speaking the truth in love, is to be about building the other person up. It's to be helpful. And catch this, as fits the occasion. Now, this is a really important condition, that you need to share the truth, but you also need to share the truth in love and at the right time, at the, at the right time. So there might be something that's true that needs to be said, but now's not the time to say it, right? Think about some bad times to say it. Like maybe in the middle of an argument wouldn't be the best time 
Because what you're doing is you're using all their sins as ammunition against them. Well, if we're going to be like this, well, let me tell you, and you start, I need to, well, I've got to correct you, I've got to exhort you, and you're exhorting them as, as, as ammunition against them. Another bad time might be, just to jog your mind a little bit, might be you just walked in the door, you just bombard them, right? just came home from work, here's all the things that you've done wrong. Man, let me just tell you something. Maybe when you're tired is not a good time. It's not the right occasion to do so because you don't think clearly and you act stupid and you're exhausted and you get angrier easily when you're tired. Another time that wouldn't be appropriate for the occasion is on your anniversary, right? You're on your date night. Well, while we're here, baby, I love you so much. And let me just tell you, when you said that, you are a jerk, right? No, as fits the occasion. Speak the truth in love, the appropriate occasion. Now, the appropriate occasion isn't next month, next year. It's soon. It's soon, but it might not be this minute. It might be the next minute. And so be very careful there. One more condition on correction, and this one sums it all up, is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Love this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So here's what this great verse is telling us. It's written after a portion of Scripture talking about the work of Jesus and what he's done. And it says, because of what Jesus has done, we can draw near to God. We can be intimate with God. We can be close with God. How does the writer refer to God? It tells us a lot about God. It says, we can draw near to the throne of grace, that he is on his throne, he is powerful, but balanced with that, that he is also gracious. So you've seen people that have power and are angry and are mean. God has power and is loving and and is gracious. It's a perfect balance of both. We can draw near to God, the throne of grace, where we can receive mercy and grace to what? What's the word? Help. There it is again. Help in the the time of need, that we can draw near to God. Are, are, Are you comfortable to draw near to God? If you are, it's because you've seen that in his presence is grace. In the presence of God is grace. You see that in the scriptures. They're hanging around the disciples. They're not really good at being gracious. But then Jesus shows up and he says, disciples, you're being jerks to the kids. And he becomes gracious in front of the kids. Because in the presence of the Lord is grace. And in the presence of the Lord is mercy. And in the presence of the Lord we see that he wants to help us. He wants to to help us. And so we can draw near and be intimate to him because in his presence is grace. And the same goes for marriage, because marriage is the picture of his love for his people, his church. And so I'll say it this way, that spiritual intimacy exists where an environment of grace exists. Let me give you that again. Spiritual intimacy exists where an environment of grace exists. So let me ask you, is your marriage, will your marriage be, if you're not married, an environment of grace, a home of grace. He might be more apt to talk about the Lord with you if he knew that you wouldn't immediately jump on him about his spiritual thoughts. She might be more apt to follow your spiritual lead if she knew that you would forgive her of her past. Maybe both of you would experience greater spiritual intimacy if you would talk to each other, Colossians 4, 6 style, always gracious, seasoned, with salt, but you don't go there because you know that it ruffles feathers and it makes everybody upset with each other. Listen, as you build a home, listen, let your home be a grace space. I want when my kids walk through the door at the end of school, when I walk through the door, when she walks through the door, that we enter into a a grace space. Your husband needs to know, ladies, that though the corporate world will be very hard on him for his faults, that in your home, you will be gracious to him and you will be forgiving to him and you will love him as he is and you will be his place of refuge second to the Lord. Fellas, your wife needs to know that though the ladies like to talk and can be really gossip-driven and and can be critical and unforgiving, that you're forgiving and that you're loving and that you're gracious and you love her unconditionally. Your, Your children need to know that Though at school, they're going to be labeled for their weight, for their skin complexion, for some of their flaws and their quirkinesses and and, and their failures. In your home, they are not just loved, but in your home, they are liked. I don't love you because I have to. I like you, son. I love you, baby girl. 
Your home needs to be a grace space, and it starts with your, your marriage. That spiritual intimacy exists where an environment of grace exists. You can be intimate with God because in his presence is grace. And so in marriage, we exhort, and we correct, and we restore, but we do so like Christ in grace. We speak the truth in love. Now, I told you guys that I would be uh, longer on point one, exhortation. And so now for the last four acts of spiritual intimacy, we'll walk a little bit faster. And here's our next one, and that is confession. Confession. James chapter 5.16 tells us this. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So there's that word one another twice again. That Christians with each other, we should open up about what we're struggling with, that we should confess, especially with believing spouses, that we should be open to share our sin struggles and we should bring those things into light. The result, according to this passage, is that, that you may be healed. Now, to be clear, the content or context of this verse is that it comes after a section talking about having the elders of the church pray over people so that they can be physically healed and spiritually healed. That sometimes issues are in our life, sometimes because of unconfessed sin. Not all the time, but sometimes because of of unconfessed sin. And, And remember, as we've seen throughout this series, that sin kills intimacy and so we need to confess our sin to one another and and we need to confess it to the lord and we need to pray over it together and so for for becky and i we sit down and we open our bible together and we read and we talk and i I may be led to confess to her as i'm reading something as we're reading together and say becky i'm just struggling with anxiety right now told you guys before it's something i struggle quite a bit with becky i'm struggling with anxiety i've just had a, a day or a week of just really heaviness when it comes to being anxious and when i confess to her here's what i find I find that I have someone who can help me through it a little bit. I find that, that she'll pray for me in it and she'll help me to cast my cares on Christ, the scriptures will call us to do, that, that she'll check up on me from time to time, help me with just being accountable with the sin things that I struggle with. She'll say, Josh, how's it going? You know, we talked about this last night, right? Because when you confess to one another, it helps you and it brings about healing. And so... We are free to talk about our sin struggles, and that leads to further sanctification, growth in the Lord. Open up with your spouse if you haven't. Start confessing sin to your spouse. Uh, pray with them uh, with regards to, to sin. Uh, create a, a grace space where they know that in this marriage, I can talk about my flaws and my struggles and my imperfections, and I know they're still going to love me, and they're not going to say, are you serious? But they're going to say, I love you. I still love you. We're still here. So confession. Next act of spiritual intimacy is this. It's intercession. That is praying with one another, bringing our cares to the Lord, praying on behalf of other people. James 5.16 calls us, again, to, to pray for one another. And so for my married friends, let me ask you, do you pray for your spouse every single day? Do you pray with your spouse? For my friends who aren't married yet, but maybe there's somebody in your life, do you pray with them at all? Is that just completely uncomfortable, like something we just never do? For those who are not married, you pray for your future spouse. You should be praying for your future spouse. Do battle for them. Pray for them. Lift them up. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 tells us this. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So God's not calling us to take up arms. He's saying, do this. Do spiritual battle in spiritual places. Do spiritual battle against darkness. And one of our greatest weapons is prayer. And so as you, as you read through the New Testament, for example, you see Christians constantly doing this together. They're praying together. They're praying together daily. And it creates uh, a stronger force as they're together going before the Lord. It binds us together as we pray together. That's why Paul in, in the book of Romans will say this. He'll say, strive together, church. Strive together with me in prayer. Pray together. Work hard at prayer. Labor in prayer. Last weekend was uh, Memorial Day. And one of the things I, I love seeing around that time of year, you know, if you go on vacation and you go to the battleships or you go see something like the Smithsonian, you see the Air Force, you always see, you know, you see the older men who, you know, they were in the military in the past, and they're wearing their caps, you know, and it's got like a battleship on it and badges and things, and they're wearing their matching T-shirts. 
from their previous wars that they've been in together. I just, I, I love that. Because they fought together, right? They fought together. And so they developed these, these bonds that just go till they die. I mean, they're old men, and they're looking back on 1920 when I was this. It's amazing. I love that. And, and praying with your spouse, doing spiritual battle in, in, in dark places with your spouse, it develops that, that you're, you're, you're doing battle together. You're engaged in spiritual warfare together. Man, I find that praying with my wife is not just praying, but it's real intimacy between the two of us because she's open and she's vulnerable. And, and there will be things that she feels the grace and the freedom to open up to God about in prayer that I didn't even know. And so at the end of the prayer, I say, I didn't know that. I didn't know that's something that's heavy on your heart right now. But as she opens up to God, it just, it's, it's amazing that she has that with him and that I can then in turn hear that and we become open and vulnerable with each other. And so I would, I would say this. Try this tonight if you're married. As you lay down together, somebody, somebody initiate prayer. Pray together. Make that a practice. When you lay down at night, you pray together. It's a great place to start. And so we pray for each other. I know she's got something big going on the next day or she knows I'm going to speak somewhere and I'm really concerned about it. She prays for me. Love that. You can pray about your sin struggles together. Confess things to the Lord together. We pray for our children by name together. We pray for you. We pray for our neighborhood. We pray for our city. It's beautiful when you, you are intercessing together. You're praying together. Which brings me really to our, our next act of spiritual intimacy and that is mission. Being on mission with your spouse. That God has given us a mission, a great commission to make disciples of, of all nations. I love this. That we all have, even in our marriages, various places in this mission that 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4 will tell us that we have spiritual gifts to be a part of the mission of God. But now imagine with me, if this isn't descriptive of you. Imagine with me that you have your spouse on that mission with you. How cool is that? It's so cool. I love that. Uh, have you ever heard somebody say, you know, when I get to heaven, I want to meet somebody. And they say, you know, somebody will say, you know, if you're really spiritual, say, I want to meet Jesus. <laughs> but have you ever said, like, I want to meet Paul. I want to meet great Peter. My, my son, Luca, likes to say, we were talking about giants yesterday. He said, I want to meet Goliath. So, buddy, I don't know if Goliath's going to be in heaven or not. Um, just because they're in the Bible <laughs> doesn't mean that they're, he was the bad guy, <laughs> you know? God helped kill him. And, uh, you know, somebody I, I always, I just want, I'd love to meet. It's not just one person, it's a couple, Priscilla and Aquila. You ever heard of them? This couple is so cool to me. It's like this powerhouse married couple in the scripture. They're just constantly, you just see them, they're just on mission together. I love this couple. That Paul who talks about, you know, I was in danger from shipwreck. I was in danger from this, in danger from that. Talks about how he was in danger all the time. And then he, in Romans chapter 16, listen to what he says, verses 3 and 4. He says, at the end of the letter, he greets, sends out greetings. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Can you imagine being that kind of married couple, that you had that kind of impact, that the guy who was in danger all the time didn't call in like the SWAT team, called in this married couple, you know, holding hands, they come in and they, they, they risk their neck for him, right? They had an impact in all the churches of the Gentiles. It's an amazing impact. This couple, Priscilla and Aquila, to give you a little history on them, they worked with Paul, they lived with Paul, they often traveled with Paul, that Paul first met them, if you read about it in Acts chapter 18, uh, in the city of, of Corinth. And they were tent makers, that was their job, and that was also Paul's job. That was a trade that Paul had that would help fund and support his ministry. And so he, he kind of shared that trade with them. He, uh, through connecting that way, he started to, to stay with them and live with them because, as you know, he's a missionary, he's very, very mobile. And uh, while making tents with them, they together start the church in the city of Corinth. And Priscilla and Aquila were recent transplants to Corinth uh, from Rome. They were kicked out by Emperor uh, Claudius for their, their Jewish faith. And so they transplant to Corinth, and Paul speaks with them. They come to faith in Jesus, and they become a huge asset to Paul's ministry. And they help Paul start this church 
in Corinth. And then at, at, at the end of the, the chapter in verse 18, after some time staying in Corinth, Paul says, I've got to move on to Syria. I have to go and I have to start more churches. And rather than saying, okay, Paul, we love you, hugs, kisses, goodbye, they say, no, we're going with you, man. And they go with Paul to, to Syria. And so as they're going with Paul leaving, they're, the three of them are leaving this legacy, a, a church in this city of Corinth. And, you know, I think one of the reasons I'm just so drawn to this couple is because I know my indebtedness to people like them in this church, to couples like them, to singles like them, to help us to start a church here in West Boston. Who, people who were, yes, beneficiaries of the ministry, but people who were also missionaries in the ministry. People like Priscilla and Aquila, many of you, you know who you are, and I'm grateful for you become a stabilizer in the ministry. You become a legacy builder in the ministry. And many of you, like them, you're transplants to the city. And you come and you may even go. And like Paul, I just want to say I'm grateful. I'm indebted to you. Your legacy will be far, far reaching. And Priscilla and Aquila, they're mentioned six times in the scriptures. You know, every time they're mentioned in the scriptures, they're always mentioned together. Love that. They're always together. Are you on mission with your spouse? You're, you're doing ministry together? Will you be on mission with your spouse for those of you that God calls to get married? Find somebody that you can do ministry with. Find somebody that they, they are passionate about serving the way you're passionate about serving. That They're going to be involved and engaged in the community the way you want to be involved and engaged in the community of faith and in the neighborhoods and, and be a light with them. Does, does your faith and your marriage, does it reach beyond the walls of your house? Do you invite neighbors over? Do you practice hospitality together? Becky and I have kind of become this machine when it comes to practicing hospitality. She does this, I do that, and we just kind of know when it's all said and done, we see people move and go home, cleaning up dishes together. We just become this well-oiled machine when it comes to hospitality. We love practicing hospitality together. Be light in your neighborhood together. Engage in the ministry of prayer together. Adopt a younger couple in the, in the community together that you might pour into them and, and show them marriage and disciple them. Financially, as a couple, maybe you can support a missionary. Maybe uh, as a couple, you can do foster care. I mean, there's so many things that you can do in ministry together. You can engage in it together, that you can labor together, that you can plead, God, work, work, please. And you can just have that same passion about the ministry together. And for Becky and I, I cannot begin to explain um, what the past few years like, you know, have been like for us as a couple. Three years laboring in Boston, there's been a lot of joy, and there's been a lot of tears, and there's been a lot of prayer. There's been a lot of victory. It's been amazing and tough at the same time, but we've been through it together. We've cried together. We've prayed together. We've, we've done this together. It's beautiful, spiritually intimate. And I want to encourage you to be on mission together. Which leads me to our last one. And this one really sums up our entire series. Exhortation, confession, intercession, mission, and exaltation. Ultimately, our marriages are about exalting our great God. and Showing the world how amazing he is. That's the purpose for everyone. Some of you aren't going to be called to, to be married. But we're all called to exalt the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31 tells us that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all, all for the glory of God. It gives us the eat and drink at the beginning just to show you that even the most mundane tasks, everything that you do, you can do for the glory of God. You can exalt God in it. And so it's pretty all-encompassing. Your marriage counts here, that your marriage is about the glory of God. It's about exalting God. Does your marriage exalt the Lord Will your future marriage exalt the Lord? It can and it will if you will center your marriage around Jesus. Center your marriage around Jesus and have a gospel-centered marriage that, that we are the way we are because Jesus has changed us individually and because he's the, the glue that binds us together. It's not my commitment that binds us together. It's not how beautiful she is and she's fine that binds us together. It's Jesus Jesus, Jesus binds us together. And I want to be like Jesus, and I pray that we can exalt him t- together. 
So Jesus changes people, and he transforms marriages, even marriages that seem like far out of reach. Nothing's out of his reach. Nothing is impossible with God. And in my ministry, I've seen it all. I've seen a lot over uh, 10 years of ministry. I've seen an engaged couple who, they weren't living for Jesus at all. She was a believer in that she grew up in the faith, but she wasn't strong. And he wasn't a believer, and they were still dating. And yet God got a hold of them and turned them both to Jesus. And now this couple is married. They are just vibrant in their marriage. People are just drawn to them. They're a light in their family, their non-Christian family. They're light in their neighborhood. They're lights in their workplaces. It's incredible. I've seen uh, a young couple uh, got really surprised and had a baby outside of, of marriage, and they had been struggling with some other things, some things that had gone on in their life, just frequent mistakes. And rather than bad-mouthing them, the church rallied around them, supported them, counseled them, saw them get married, now five kids later, they just built their house, and now they're building a home, and it's just honoring Christ. God can do that. God can do that. I saw a single lady who, I remember going on missions trips with her to, to Central America, and just being really concerned. She was really concerned. I'm just getting older, growing up, and I don't know if I, I want to be married, but there's, there's really nobody around. And rather than saying, well, I need to stay here and just find Mr. Wright, she took off and spent a year missions in Central America. And guess what? She came back with a husband. It's amazing. And they just had their first child. There's hope for everybody in every situation in, in Jesus. Press on. Press on towards Jesus. And, and, and he brings restoration. He brings hope. There is hope. Pursue Jesus. Pray to him. Nothing is impossible. That you can have a vibrant, Christ-exalting, intimate, fulfilling, faithful, sanctifying, impactful marriage. I want that for you guys. I really want that for you guys. And I know God wants it too. And it is available should you turn to Jesus and trust in him and say, I'm going to let my marriage be modeled after the gospel. So here's what I want to do. I want to close out this series in prayer. And the way I want to do that is I'm going to invite my wife up here. And um, I'm going to ask her to pray for the ladies. And I'm going to pray for the guys. And uh, we just want to lift you guys up. I know you're in different positions. Some of you are married. Some of you are engaged to be married. Some of you want to be married. Some of you don't know what God's plan is for you. Some of you are beyond past marriage. Uh, marriage fell apart. Uh, whatever it is, we want to just lift you guys up and pray for you. And So let's take a moment to pray. Father, I thank you for my beautiful church. God, I thank you for all the ladies here, so many of them so dear to me and good friends. God, I pray for the ladies who are married, God, that you would bring us joy and contentment in the marriages that you have called us to, God, and in our roles, Father, that we would serve our husbands well and know that you are being glorified through that, God. Lord, I lift up the women who are married and don't have spouses or husbands who are believers, God. Lord, may they be one to you through just the behavior um, that honors you, God, that, um, that their husbands would, would want to know you because they see um, a wife who loves you, Father. Lord, we know that everyone is not called to marriage, God. For um, the single women here um, who do feel like they want to get married, God, that you would um, just grow them closer to you in this time of preparation, God, and I pray that they would not compromise, God, that they would wait for your best and that um, you would just help them to stay strong as they're waiting, God. Lord, I thank you for, um, for our husbands, those of us who are married, God. May we um, just always try to um, be humble, Lord, and to be their helper as you've called us to do, God, and to um, just seek to honor you through our marriages and for the moms here too, God. Um, it's hard to juggle it all, Lord, but you have gifted us um, in different ways, and I pray that... Uh, we would be the mothers that you want us to be, Lord, and that we could um, just love our husbands and children uh, so well, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray. And Father, I thank you, too, for uh, the men in this room. God, I just commit them into your hands. God, you know where they're at. You know what their struggles are. You know uh, their unique makeup. 
And God, I just pray your best for them. I pray that you would bless them. Lord, that for those men in our midst who are married, Father, I pray that they would be men of, of God. Lord, that they would love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for them. That he would, he would be sacrificial, Lord, as Jesus is sacrificial. For the husband, I pray that he would be uh, faithful when the, the world is pulling his eyes in different directions constantly. May we have men who are faithful the way you are faithful, that you never leave us or forsake us. Lord, I pray that our men would lead their homes with integrity, lead sacrificially, lead as servant leaders, Father. Lord, we need this kind of man in our midst. We need this kind of man uh, planted throughout our neighborhoods. Lord, I really deeply believe that, that weak men is a huge part of the struggles of our society. And so develop strong men, men of faith who love Jesus, who are loving and gentle and gracious, Father. God, for uh, marriages in, in this room and in our midst, Lord, that they're, they're not um, yoked together in Christ. Lord, I pray for uh, just faithfulness, Lord, for longevity, uh, for patience, for Christ's likeness, Father. I pray for restoration and, 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 Lord, that you would turn people to Jesus. And God, for the single men, Lord, I just plead with you, Father, to develop them now, that they would be men today that honor you, that live for you. Lord, that they would, uh, Lord, they would be the men that you're calling them to be. Lord, that they would practice now by treating women with respect and honor now. That you would do that work for them now. That they wouldn't wait till the, the marriage that's, that's in their, their, their future, Lord, but they would begin now to be developed to the men that you're calling them to be. And so I commit them into your hands, Father. They are yours. And God, may we see uh, you just, just change uh, things and do so um, through healthy marriages, Father. Commit that to you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.